0: Knowing how to put money to work for you is a life hack. The book says the rich don't work for money, the rich have money work for them. If you don't understand finance, you'll be working for money for your whole life.
1: Let us proceed with the first song.
2: Tweet Talk episode
1: 68. It's lit. Woo Hot time. This podcast is brought to you in part by InvestAtTheTeam We have created the official merch of generational wealth. You have to shift your mindset from employee to you can't fire me, the Boss, always remember: no sacrifice, no reward. Hood Estates exclusive collection available at InvestAtTheTeam Now back to the world's greatest podcast. That's good. Are we on the ass, dope. What it sounds like to be the the best. This is a Black Wealth Podcast. Build wealth, invest, own, and close the wealth gap. It's time to break down these financial concepts with your host, Mr. Todd McGonagher himself, Charles Oglesby, and Raphael Husband. Episode Colton Bryant. Black Mamba. Actually, that's not even, that's Froby. Episode Froby.
0: Froby Bryant. (laughs) (laughs) Kobe. <laughs> man, those are some cool shoes. I th- Those, like the, I think like the first, not the first Kobe, but like the second Kobe was fire. Everybody wanted that shoe. Um, like the first one was like the crazy eights and the second was the real fly one. Like super cool design. And the third one I think was the ones that look like the space shoes. Nobody liked those space shoe Kobe's. But those are still kind of cool too. Those are good times, man. I don't remember Kobe's shoes really. You know, I got to fact check myself. Yeah, the Kobe 2 was that cool one. Man, those are some cool shoes. I would try to buy those. They're like super expensive now, though. They're like 500 bucks on StockX, and who knows what size that is.
1: Mm. I
0: had some Kobe 3s. I had the white Kobe 3s. I actually got them at the outlet. They look like some vans, like not van shoes, but like an actual van car. <laughs> they were so big. I used to be rocking them, though.
2: Anyway. Hey, Welcome to episode 68 of Tweet Talk, the Blackwell podcast with your hosts, Raphael and Charles. It's lit. It's lit. We are the ones. You can follow myself, Raphael, on Twitter at WorkMoneyLife. Follow Charles on Twitter at ToddBillion. Billion, 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 with a B. And what we do here is we dissect tweets every episode. All about building black wealth. Subscribe. <laughs> so, Charles, what's new? What's new, man? What's going on in Talk Capital World?
0: Um, so, just got back from Detroit, which is where all of our properties are currently situated. So, I got a chance to walk all the doors that we have. Whenever I get out there, I just, I make it a point because I take a red-eye flight. And so, I took a flight leaving Los Angeles at 11 o'clock at night, Los Angeles time. Landed at six o'clock Eastern Standard Time, which is really three o'clock my time. Got a monster energy drink and it started driving up and looking at all our properties. So I looked at all our rental properties and just kind of maneuvered through that, just like boom, 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 mapping those out. And then I made it a point to meet uh, my contractor at the steel house. The three, no, yeah, I made it a point to meet somebody at a potential flip. And then I made it a point to go and look at um, the multifamily that we have. So I was just kind of like walking deals, pretty much driving for dollars, Wanted to test out the deal machine app. So I used that. I was just pinning properties. I think I was able to pull like 50 potential leads. Um, The cool thing is that Detroit has improved substantially since we first started investing out there. Um, A lot of the, a lot of homes are being rehabbed and renovated and Um, Even one of the homes that we own, there was there used to be across the street a house that was just falling down. It looked so bad, like the roof had a blue tarp on it, which essentially means not only is their roof bad, they don't got enough money to get a new roof. And so I went back over there, and they actually had a brand new roof, and they had a new roof, and their neighbor had a new roof, which is a sign that people are starting to invest back in the neighborhood. And we just put a new roof on our our house that's over there, Um, and we're also in the process of painting the exterior. Uh, painting the trim, putting up new gutters on the house. And so what I found is that like people, uh, Detroit is coming back to life. And one of the cool things about Detroit is it's such a resilient city. It's such a city that's just built on grind. And so there's there's cities out there that aren't as hungry as a city like Detroit. And so maybe they would see a situation that Detroit went through and say, oh, I guess we're going to lay down and die. It's too hard. We can't do it. But Detroit's not that kind of a city. Detroit gets very cold, Detroit has a lot of factories, a lot of blue collar jobs and blue collar people are workers. They're not working 40 hours a week and going home. They're working 60, 80, 100 hours a week. They know what it's like to hustle and work. Mm -hmm. And so it's only a matter of time for a city like that to come back. Downtown Detroit is flourishing. The cities are flourishing. There's different sub markets like the Bagley market, the Russell Woods market, all these other sub markets that are just having astronomical values. And so we're starting to see where improvements are getting closer to where we have multiple homes so that homes that we've held can now actually be turned into flips. So two years ago, it was a rental property. Now there's tremendous upside in those properties. Cause now where we have a home that we bought from the land bank for nothing, put like 30 into it, it's worth 50. We actually are seeing homes being sold for like 200 in that area. And so our goal is to then take this rental property, rep- uh, and just kind of do a whole new refresh, refresh everything, repaint everything, put better floors down, put a better bathroom in there, like a luxury bathroom, a luxury kitchen, and we can sell this thing for two hundred thousand dollars as well, The up pocketing a uh, hundred thousand dollars on the upside. And so that's why I was telling somebody like real estate is about patience. It's not about that immediate dollar. Everybody is over here looking to make that quick flippity flip, and they don't realize like, bro, like. The reason why we can have this conversation about my grandma's house having so much equity is because she's owned it for 20 years. You want to own it for 20 months, if not less. You want to own it for 20 days and make a bunch of money. And that's not how investing works. That's not how it works in stocks or real estate. It's a game of patience. And we've had people who have joined the investment club for stocks or for real estate. And they're just like, oh, well, we ain't rich now. So i just go do something else. Like, you're not an investor, obviously. You were just here because you thought that you just flippity flip and you get rich. And the same thing is true with the stock club. For the Thai Capital Investment Club, somebody brought it to my attention like, hey, what's going on with the OG Investment Club? Because the Secondary Investment Club actually had gotten shut down because Vallejo, which is the person who was doing the vendor, they they lost their funding. And so people thought that everything went kaput. We still have funds from the OG Investment Club account. In fact, we have about $50,000 in investor principal. Now, keep in mind, the great thing about this is check it out. We had $50,000 in initial principal. We got a 47% ROI on that cash. We took our gains, which was about 27 or which was about $20 to $30,000, and we gave it back to the investors and we kept the $50,000 invested. We reinvested that $50,000 and now we have another 36% return. So that $50,000 is actually closer to like 76,000. And so I just think that's dope to be using the same money to make new money. Now, what's really cool about it is we forgot about it. We weren't over here checking it every day, digging it in, opening up our app 50 times a day. No, we just mm-hmm. forgot. And now we look up and we got a bunch of money over here that just gained for us. And so the I told people that's how the investment club is supposed to work. You guys think it's about me talking to you every week, me being in your ear, us Getting stressed out about these stocks going up and down. And like I said, we have one of the stocks in that portfolio lost a ton of money. We owned Tilray and it tanked, but another stock did tremendous. And so I always tell people that it's not that we bought the wrong stocks. We didn't buy any stocks at all. But effectively, for, through this investment club, we've doubled our money for our investors. We made a 47% return and a 36% return. You combine those and that's damn near 100%. It's basically 80%. So I would say that that's success. We've seen success on the real estate side. But that success came as a result of our patience. Patience. We bought stuff and we held it for a long time. Just buy for the, just. It's about ownership for the sake of being an owner, not for the sake of getting rich tomorrow. We own stuff because that's just a powerful stance to be in. I'd rather be on the side of people sending me checks than be on the side of sending other people checks. And that's the Tide Capital update. Shout out to Detroit. It was lit out there. I didn't do any like super clubbing stuff because I, I don't. It's too dangerous out there. You're running to the wrong people. Atlanta's more. African American and affluent, prosperous Detroit is more gutter. So I ain't, <laughs> out, I ain't out in the streets like that,
2: man. Kind of mad, man. I, I didn't know the OG um investment club was still open. I was part of the Vallejo club that got shut down. The OG club is open per se. It's open
0: in spirit. <laughs> As in, it still exists. It didn't. It didn't get closed.
2: That's that's what. It yeah,
0: I I don't have the ability to do anything for free anymore, and Doing the investment club for free was a way for me to get to the paid stuff, but people don't realize like that stuff requires a lot of time, effort, energy, effort, um, accountability. People be asking you for like financial reports and all this stuff, and it's like I'm not getting paid for this. Mm-hmm. I can't justify giving you my time. So the OG investment club is not necessarily open. We're going to be closing it in December, just sending everybody back their money
2: plus their capital gains and calling it a day. Gotcha. Now here's the question. Are we talking about selling
1: assets now?
2: You're talking about flipping? Um, in, in part, yes. It's a level um, up, right? It's a level, more of a level up.
0: I, I put out a tweet and I was like, once you start getting big checks, you don't really want a bunch of small checks. Mm. And Gumroad has spoiled me. Launch Pass has spoiled <laughs> me. Where we're getting, on a weekly basis, five-figure checks. And so I'm like, I would rather focus on the big check than focus on getting small checks. I would mm-hmm. rather focus on getting large deals than waiting around for somebody to give me some pennies. And so that's just kind of where I am now. I, I, I wish I wasn't that way, but I would rather flip something and focus on getting a $50,000, $70,000, $80,000 payout as opposed to just like putting all this money and all this cash into something just to make 700 bucks. So for example, mm-hmm. if if we rehab steal. It's going to cost us like 60 grand to do so. And so we're going to spend 60 grand to get back about $2,000, 2400 a month. $2,400 a month ain't changing my life. Like I've been spoiled. I don't need $2,400 a month. I'm trying to do $2,400 a day. If my gumroad doesn't do that kind of numbers, I get pissed. I've made at least that much money every single day this month. And so for me to flip that on his head and say, okay, I'm willing to make $2,400 this month. I think that's taking a step backwards when I want to consider, continue to chase massive money, massive deals, massive flips. And so that's just my strategy. I'm not, I mean, of course we talk about being owners and, and maybe we look at kind of scaling that. And that's why I've been looking at larger deals, like apartments or hotels, But yeah, mindset's changed. I had to to change my mindset to to, to get my money right. Because quite honestly, I was thinking about this today. I was like, you know, owning all these rentals didn't make me rich and I did it for three years. So why would I do more of Uh, that? Why would I do more of this stuff that doesn't make me rich? I should be focusing on the things that are making me a lot of money. And for me, that's digital courses and an online community. And so part of me is even still wondering if I should even get into real estate. I'm like, I feel like in a lot of ways, I just wanted to do real estate because it's sexy, but I'll tell you this, and I, I kind of had this idea, is the reason why I'm able to make money doing what I do now is because I'm scarce. There's not a lot of people who have what I have, online communities and a course that's specifically tailored to what I'm doing. Everybody has a real estate course. Everybody has a wholesaling course. Everybody has a online digital marketing course. And so they'll make money, but they won't get rich. And this is why it's tough to get money even in real estate because Everybody knows that you can make money in real estate, so you know what happens. People start coming into the market, and so now wholesalers are killing your deals. Contractors are killing your deals, and there's so many middlemen in place that are charging you so much money just because they know you're making a lot of money. And so, a contractor in Detroit, you're asking for a bid, and the bid just somehow happens to be the actual value of the property. That doesn't make any sense. And so, then your only upside is the longevity. And so now you have to get to the point where you cut the middleman out. I'm cutting the middleman out of everywhere. I'm like, if the steel deal is going to make sense, I'm going to have to GC it myself. I'm going to have to wholesale and find my own deals myself. Otherwise, real estate doesn't make any sense because the middlemen have taken all the profit. And so that's the reason why my mentality has changed because my
2: money mindset and my money expectations have changed. And it's funny. A lot of these apartment syndications or these real estate syndications, you're not getting your money back in less than three years or even some seven years, 10 years. like, This is a 10 year deal we, we're going to be doing. We're going to be building the value and then we will sell it and split the profits. And I don't think a lot of black people are ready for that because they just haven't seen it. I always
0: tell people well, I don't always tell people this, but back in the day, you couldn't get involved in these deals unless you were an accredited investor. I'm right. not sure if I mentioned on this, on, on this late, uh, I'm not sure if i mentioned that on this here later, but if you're a credit investor, you're probably a successful business owner or a successful investor. If you're a successful business owner or investor, you realize these things don't take time, they don't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. They don't happen overnight. And so now you're existing with people who get it. You're existing with other professionals. You're existing with other successful business people. So take me for example, I'm looking at Tulsa real estate fund and I'm not on their head about, Hey, where my money at? It's been six months. Hey, where my money at? It's been 18 months. Cause I know, I know how this stuff goes. I know it's not overnight, but somebody who doesn't exist in that space is going to be more critical. And it's not going to be an, an informed criticism. It's going to be a naive criticism because they just don't know. And now what's really bad is they speak as though their words are fact. And so that's, I think that's the part of the, the thing that is, is education is one thing. We always think that we could just educate ourselves out of the hole, but you need to also get experience out of that hole. And so it's unfortunate, but there's a reason why people were kept out of these deals and it had nothing to do with people trying to keep you from something. They're actually trying to protect you and also trying to protect the deal because these folks will kill the deal with their ignorance right. and their fear. If you don't got no money and you see sixteen thousand dollars that you could potentially lose, you killing the whole deal. You pull out your cash. Mm. Run for everybody
2: that way. Yeah, I think is accredited investors. They make their money other ways. They just put the money in and they go back to go making the money. Right. Hey. they don't have time to be sitting there asking a thousand questions after they made a decision. They just go back to the running their business or doing whatever it is they normally do. So they they already getting division. more money. Right. And this this um this deal that Chris Senegal put together in Houston that we put our money in, we I'm more interested in seeing what it's going to grow into than getting some dividend on like 500 bucks, which is not right. really not gonna change my life, really. It's what most nice. people do
0: is they reinvest their dividends. If you're right. really an investor, you're getting dividends, you're like, nah, put it back in there.
2: For sure. Like, I'm excited to see who's going to drop out so I can buy the shares mm-hmm. and get a, a bigger piece. But it's so a long game. You were just saying, you were talking about change and uh, changing your mentality. You had a tweet. You said, Change requires you to do things that are uncertain. So, I'm reading a very
0: good book right now, and it's called The Five Second Rule. And that was one of the many gems that she dropped in there but I tweeted it because we always want change, but we don't want to do new things. We want a new life, but we want to be able to see the end result of our actions. And the problem is you're just going to continue to get the same thing that you've always been getting. What's also the problem is people will see you proposing something that's unique and foreign and they'll shoot it down because it's unique and foreign. You don't know what the outcome is going to be, but that's going to be changed. The status quo of African-Americans is what it is. And if we continue to do what we've always been doing, we're going to continue to perpetuate the status quo, even if we do it unintentionally. We just don't realize it. We think that we're doing different things, but it's really the same stuff. It's sad when you listen to old podcasts, you listen to, you look at old articles and we've been doing the same thing. It's just, okay, now it's Breonna Taylor. Oh, now it's whoever else the person was. I forgot his name. I really forgot. No, there's a dude It was a big protest before Breonna Taylor, the guy Uh, who had George Floyd. George Floyd. And there was him. And then there's another dude who got shot in the back. And the problem is, we don't ever think about what we could be doing to to make things better. And so I think we don't do it because we can't see the end result. But Martin Luther King Jr. said it himself you got to take the first step without seeing the rest of the staircase. And so I want people to, because a lot of times people will shoot down your idea. And it's not because they know it can't work. It's because they've never seen it work, and so they'll say, "Well, I've never seen this work, therefore it can't work." But that uncertainty is what she's talking about leads to change. You got to step out on faith. You got to step out and see what you could become, because that first step is just one of many steps. And then you might take a step, and you're like, "Okay, well that didn't work. Let me go to the left this way. Let me go to the right this way. Let me go to the left this way." But at least you're zigging zagging to that end goal. When you look at that chart and it talks about the success, what success looks like versus what everybody else thinks it looks like. Everybody else thinks it's a straight line, but really it's jagged lines up and down and up and down. And that's the same thing with the stock. It's up and down and up and down. And that's what success is, but you still got to continue to press forward because when you hit those down parts, that's where you're going to find out what you're made of. Those down places aren't a bad thing. In the book, she was talking about how she got to a point where she lost her job, and she was still under a contract, so she couldn't get another job. And her husband would go, was going through difficult times in her business, and that's when she kind of discovered the five second rule. And from there, she she propelled herself into a great career. He he was able to save their save the business and open up seven other locations. They sold it for millions of dollars. And so those down times are actually going to grow you. And so I think I've said this on this show, but it's like kind it all joy when you when you fall into. Um, temptation and kind of all joy when you found and fall into these things that are going to test you and they're going to make you struggle because it's going to produce patience it's going to produce success and you don't get there if you're only doing the stuff that you're you're familiar with if we just keep eating the same food we're going to keep getting the same diseases and we're going to keep saying it's because it runs in our family but if we would try you try new things and then you iterate and then you iterate and then you iterate and that's where innovation comes from innovation just doesn't come from doing everything that we've already seen done just because it's comfortable
2: right i get out of the comfort zone i mean you're saying success is up is down i mean i am not going to lie i don't like that kind of stuff man it's not comfortable at all like you you get a little you make a little progress you think uh oh, finally i made my breakthrough and then boom two steps back or whatever but you got to keep pushing keep pushing and now we're going to have the Tweet Talk Black Billionaire Spotlight. So today's spotlight is going to be on, I'm pretty sure most of you have never heard of this one, one Foloronsu Alakija. she? She is, at one, she was at once a couple of years ago the richest black woman on planet Earth. But you know how it goes, you, you, your fortunes go up, they go, they, they go down. So Foloronsu Alakija, we will have the spelling in the show notes, please read. Is a Nigerian woman who is worth, according to Forbes, as of right now, one billion dollars in U.S. currency. She is a businesswoman. Her first company was a fashion label. Where she, when she first created it, uh, she won a, a a reality contest, which made her popular. But from the fashion label, she's also in oil. So she's a vice chair of Femme for Oil, a Nigerian oil exploration company whose partners include Chevron and Petrobras. Mm. And she is number 20 on Africa's billionaire list for 2020. Wow. That's impressive that Africa has 20 that I mean obviously they have more than 20 but well those really? 20 those 20 are not all black. Most of them are not black. Oh. The richest man, the richest man in Africa is black, but most of the top 20 are are not. I just assumed that they were black if they're in Africa but
0: Yeah. That's uh, interesting.
2: Unfortunately, a lot of them not. We got to remember, like, people, you know, they came in and and, and took the resources, you know. And it's funny, this lady, I was watching uh, uh, a YouTube interview of her. She started off, actually, as a a secretary in a bank. Right. Worked her way up, became a banker at the bank, and then she just, but she always wanted to be in her her own business. And she saw that she was not going to get to certain levels in this bank, and she said, You know what? Let me get out of here and let me do my own thing. So she went back to school. They'll, they'll keep you down there in the secretarial position. Right. So she went back to school to learn fashion design, started her own label, and boom. But well, you talk about patience. It took her like three or three to six years for her to get the license from the Nigerian government to, to explore for oil. They gave her a shitty license in an area that was really deep, where they really probably didn't think she was going to find anything. They started a the company, became successful, and the Nigerian came back and decided, we're going to take a bigger piece of the chicken. Hmm. We're going to take, like, a huge chunk of the company. And it was like, whoa, what are you doing? And it's like, they write a contract where they actually, the, the government could come back and take back that, that much. But there were certain steps that they were supposed to take legally according to the contract. They were supposed to talk to them first. They were supposed to negotiate. They didn't do anything of like that. They just said, we're taking control of the company and she sued them. Wow. And part of her advantage was her husband is a lawyer and she said they were in a lawsuit for 12 years. Wow. And she won. They beat the Nigerian government. Right. That's, that's interesting. So moving on, that was our black billionaire spotlight for tonight's episode. I feel like,
0: um, that principle kind of speaks to something I've been talking about for a while. I posted somebody else's tweet and he was saying like he had been making like $44,000 working on this job and then he started a business and he made $40,000 in the last three months. And I was also like listening to that Derek Grace and he's been doing like million dollar months. And then the other girl, she sells the lock stuff and she made like a million dollars and everybody's out there making like millions of dollars just on their own. And what's interesting is I always tell people that business is how you create wealth. And they think that it's just like working for yourself and not having a boss. Like, no, it allows you to do a lot of the stuff that I'm doing right now, which is get the middleman out of the way. And you go direct to the consumer, like Dame Dash is always talking about. And now you realize how much real money is being brought into that organization. It's like when we saw that meme and it was like, when you figure out how much money you're actually making your boss, it's like, I need a raise, but he's not going to give you that
2: raise. So you give yourself a raise. So, shout out to that. Yep, yep, yep. She went from secretary to banking, which is pretty impressive too. But you had a tweet where you said, working in banking is a life hack. Even if you aren't there for long, the exposure is priceless.
0: Yeah. um, I think it's one of the many pieces of the puzzle of exposure, but it really helps you see not only the people that have money and then how normal they are, but it also helps you kind of see how they make their money and how they spend their money and how they kind of structure their money. Mm. So it takes the veil off of money. You get behind the curtain and you start to kind of really see who has what and how much of what they have. And I mean, granted, there are people with big money, but there's still people living well that don't really have as much money as you would think they do. And there's also people with a bunch of money who aren't living the way you would think they were living. And so we've talked about that for a long time where, we always think it's the person with all the flashy stuff, the mm-hmm. Dior that, the Gucci this, who has all the money. When really it's just a dude with the the regular Timex watch and some khakis, and he's the big boss. And so I would say that that's important. Also, just seeing how banking works, uh-huh. seeing how lending works, seeing how banks make their money, seeing how bankers make their money. Because bankers a lot of times get paid for like checking accounts and credit cards and lines of credit and loans and mortgages. And kind of seeing how that works, because banks are such an integral part of our life that if you don't see what's going on, you're going to get taken advantage of. And so for me, like we just got the the letter for our loan for the house and I'm looking at this. I'm like, OK, well, if I put down a little bit extra here, then I could probably actually save some money doing this and this and this. Or even if we're putting down a significant down payment, if we take this loan full term, I know I'm going to be paying double. We've talked about that on the show a lot. And also looking at credit cards and how credit works and all that stuff, even looking like all the way up to like branch management and how people can aspire to be a branch manager and you don't realize like they have like a high churn rate. So if you're a branch manager, you're kind of disposable. They're going to be moving you here, sending you there, doing all these different things. So it's just, I realized it's a life hack because it allowed me to kind of um, really get a, a different grasp of finance. And so everything that I've done in my experience has helped. But banking definitely was helpful.
2: So you talk about you get to see how rich people structure their money and the things they do with their money. Like, give us a few, just a couple of examples of how they right. affect
0: you. One of the, the weirdest things is I used to think that rich people just had a bunch of money in their checking account. But in actuality, they have money in their like savings accounts and their investments. And then their checking is pretty lean. And so you're like, oh, they're rich. They must have millions in their checking account. Like, no, they have enough money for their daily day-to-day expenses in their checking account. And then everything else gets put into like a savings account. Um, And then I also talked about how they used to connect all the accounts. And so everybody has access to everybody's money. It's not like this my money over here, boy. It's like, no, like you're my son. I brought you on this earth. Why would I have something that you don't have access to? And so, like I've said, the mom, the son, the sister, they all had access to the same checking accounts and so, and credit cards for that matter. And so you're paying your rent, you're doing all these things. It's a family affair. It's a team sport, like I always say. Um, I used to always, also I would see like immigrants have bread. So like there's like a little old lady and she worked in a little sewing factory and she didn't make a whole lot of money, but she had a whole lot of money. And I used to blow my mind to see these people coming into the bank, little old, they doesn't even speak the language, and has a CD for like a hundred grand, whereas a CD for like 40 grand. And her CD is maturing. And so we called her and see if she wants to invest it. Another thing that I saw was um, a lot of legacy money. And so like a like some white dudes, they had like money that just kind of came out of nowhere because their dads was was an attorney or whatever. And so he just dropped a bunch of money on them. But then one of the most depressing things I would see is I'll never forget I had one dude, he came in, he was a black dude, he was buff, he was in shape, he was a model, apparently. And he had like a loft in the city, and he opened up a banking account with me. And he had like the, the shiny watch on, he was shining. And he opened up the bank account, he went up to the standard, he was doing whatever, and I got the notification showing that the, the bank account closed. So if you open if you get if you open up a bank account, then you um you get paid. And if that account closes within 30 days, then they take that money back from you. So I saw I had a charge off and I was like, okay, well, let me see what account that was. It was his account. The dude was super shining. And I looked at his transaction history and he was over at some rooftop ordering drinks and over here ordering drinks and just living his best life. And I was like, that's crazy. Cause you knew you didn't have any money in there. You're just swiping the card, probably using it as a credit card.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: that was another thing that kind of showed me that a lot of people who give off the image of money ain't got nothing. So I would say those are some of the things that I learned. Um, I did talk to, uh, I talked to a lot of people. So one of the ladies I talked to, she was in real estate. She owned a bunch of properties. I talked to a lot of business owners. They made a bunch of money. I talked to a lot of Arabs and that's how I kind of realized like Arabs and Jews, how they got their money through business and they don't even really mess with like the whole job scene like that. But it was, it was, it's like a, kind of like an MBA on money in a lot of ways. No. More, More so than financial advising. It's different because with financial advising, you only see what they show you. And so I think that that's one of the things you have to understand. Like when you're a banker, so when you're a financial advisor, basically you door knock and you get people to, you talk to them. And then you, they didn't even teach us how to profile when I was working in financial advising, you mostly said, Hey, um, I have some investments. Are you looking to invest with us?" And that was basically the extent of the pitch. When I was working in banking, you literally profiled the person. So first and foremost, you can pull up their, their bank account profile. And it'll yeah. show their name, their address, all the stuff, their checking account, their savings account, their credit card. You can see all the balances right there. If they have any investment accounts, you can see all that. And so that's one thing. But then they wanted you to also probe and find, out, okay, well, where else do you bank? What kind of balances are you keeping there? Um, who does your mortgage? Do you have any credit cards? Um, who does your business banking? That kind of stuff. What kind of balances do you have there? And so you, get, you learn how to be like a financial doctor in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Whereas financial advising was kind of surface level. Uh-huh. It was more so like boiler room stuff. Like you just pitching stuff all day, pitching stuff. Banking was more holistic. And that's why they wanted you to start with the checking account. Cause the checking account is the base level of the relationship. Once you get the checking account, then you start selling them more products. Then you start getting them in then you're like okay well let us do your mortgage then it's like okay well let's do this let's do that let's do your car loans
1: let's do all that stuff in-house and keep you here so you think your sneakers look good huh check this out, out. <laughs> even the most exclusive sneakers once purchased look identical to everybody else's sneakers can i get a holla holla so how do you take your boring regular sneakers and convert them to unique dynamic sneakers that will stand out yo that answer is easy you need to g- g- get laced with get laced shoelaces. Yes, yeah, Get Laced is a lifestyle shoelace retailer dedicated to inspiring customers through a unique combination of products, creativity, and cultural understanding. We just want you to upgrade your sneakers, so get laced. Visit GetLacedLaces.com or check us out on Instagram at getlace. underscore. Upgrade your sneakers with a black-owned business that provides international shipping, wholesale, custom, and fundraising options. Upgrade them sneakers, baby. He's a genius, Get man. yours today at getlacelaces.com. Premium sneakers need premium laces. So, what would you say? I'm sure you, you saw some rich black
2: people come in, coming through, right? I did. I did. I'm not even going to lie. I definitely did. Um, so, what would you say was different about them to the other rich folks coming through? I think they were more conservative, mm-hmm. uh, they were educated and they were
0: more conservative. A lot of the people who weren't educated weren't as maybe sure of themselves, such that they had to kind of put on all those things to make themselves feel like somebody. And then, of course, they were older. But I'll never forget. I used to have a couple. It was a a guy and a and a girl, and they were they were my clients, and they were they were doing pretty well. One of the dudes, he was the the dude, he was looking to buy a franchise, and so they were like consolidating accounts and doing all these different things to help them qualify for the loan. And you could just tell that they were focused and they weren't out here living for the shine chasing status like they didn't they didn't wear their status she didn't have like the louis this the gucci that all that stuff she just handled business she spoke well she carried herself well um and a lot of times they were just older and so I feel like in a lot of ways a lot of us just aren't older yet and so a lot of the like black clients that I did do deal with they were just young they were just young young minded Young financially. So I wouldn't even say it's necessarily like something you can't overcome. It's just in your youth, you tend to kind of live a certain way versus as you age, even despite your skin color, you kind of step into, and, and a lot of it is because they say like your brain doesn't really fully mature until a certain age. And so yeah. like I didn't, I didn't see a lot of younger people with money. I don't think that's true for any culture. I feel like that's a common misconception that we think. We always compare ourselves to like the 50-year-old or the 60-year-old white dude. We're not comparing ourselves to the oh. 30-year-old white dude. Right. When in a lot of ways, our wealth is equivalent to the 30-year-old white dude. We compare ourselves to somebody who had a 30-year head start and we're like, oh, racism. Like, no, just give us some time because my parents are there. I'm sure your parents are there. My in-laws are there where the house is almost paid off. If not paid off, they're making six figures, got savings and everything situated. And so it's like if you compare apples to apples, we're not as oppressed as you think you are. But if you compare like whiteness on the whole to blackness on the
2: whole, you're going to continue to be disappointed. So you were talking about banking as a hack, but you also had a tweet where you said, life hack, study finance.
0: I'm not sure where that came from, but I think it just came from learning the power of money. And then also just realizing how finance really allows you to do like really, really crazy stuff. So... For example, these days, my stocks, since I have so much money invested, they make wild swings. And so a small swing is going to make you big money. Mm -hmm. And so that's just one piece. It's like the stock market. But also just seeing how, like, for example, I had this idea today. As I was leaving, I was like, you know what? These big skyscrapers, it's not one person doing it. It's a company doing it. And so essentially what you do is you put together the company and the company does the project. And that company employs a lot of people. And so, we have so many people out here who are just like, well, I'm an investor and this is what I do and this is my deal and this is my flip. And we're thinking too small instead of thinking, okay, if we do this huge condo complex or this huge apartment complex, each of us is going to eat, each of us is going to do well, each of us will make $200,000 out of this deal or whatever that never looks like. No, it's like one person's like, well, I got to do it. It's my deal. I'm the boss. And so, finance, I think, is just a hack because finance shows you how to use money to your advantage. So as opposed to using money to strictly consume. And so it's amazing to me how I have so many friends who earn money, but they don't know finance. So all they really know how to do, all they know what to do with their money is to consume. That's it. They're like, okay, I got all. even, and we see that with people online who are making a bunch of money. Like if you're making a bunch of money, but you're not an investor, you're just recruiting people. or you are doing things like that? What are you going to do with your money? You're going to buy an iced out chain. You're going to buy an iced out watch. You're going to buy a Rolls Royce. But if you're one of us and you understand finance, you're going to say, oh man, I got a hundred grand. I could leverage this into a half a million. That half million will give me X. Or I have a half a million. I could put this into some stocks and those stocks are going to pay me $10,000 a day for the rest of my life as they go up and down to 2%, $10,000 a day on average. Or um, just all these different creative things that you could do when you start to realize how finance works. And so I'm starting to look at parking lots and the thought process is like, I saw some parking lots that were like 15 million, but it's not the parking lot that you're paying for. The, you're paying for the land and the location of the land. So that 15, 000, that 15 million valuation, the parking lot really is only there to pay for the taxes so that somebody could flip that land eventually. And so you get this, this land and then you dig down two, three levels and now you take one story of parking and you turn it into four stories of parking. So now you just amplified your value, but then also you're going to build up on top of that. And so now you're going to be whatever those numbers look like. And so I I tell people that you can analyze a $100 million deal the same way you analyze a $100,000 deal. It's the same stuff, acquisition and improvements and what's it going to be worth after it's done. It's the same thing. The problem is when you start getting people in the mix, and they, they start getting their hands in your deal. So as soon as that broker gets that deal, it's a bad deal. As soon as that wholesaler gets that deal, it's likely a bad deal. As soon as you get a bad contractor who's not honest, it's going to be a bad deal. So that's just what I was saying. I think that knowing how to put money to work for you is a life hack. The book says the rich don't work for money, the rich have money work for them. If you don't understand finance, you'll be working for money for your whole life.
2: Right. And you were talking... um, yeah, a tweet. You said you get to a mill quicker building with a visionary than trying to go off and duplicate what they are doing. Yeah. I'm not sure who I saw doing this,
0: but I always I'm always looking at that um that that meme of the dude on the boat, and then everybody on the boat's taking pieces of that boat to build their own boat. Right. And if you think about it, they took pieces off a big boat and they didn't build a boat just as big, they built a boat that's smaller. And so that's what a lot of people are doing, and I've seen it. I can't even think of an at a, a good example. We need one strong company that makes us all a bunch of money, not a bunch of companies doing the same thing that may or may not make us a bunch of money. And it's a principle that I've been talked about for the long time, longest time. Um, and then also, once you establish that big company, it becomes a lot easier to make other companies because now those companies start funding the other companies. So I would just I tell I think that. It's wise to rock with the visionary, the Steve Jobs, the Mark Zuckerbergs, all those guys, because those dudes in Silicon Valley aren't hurting. There's a lot of very wealthy people in Silicon Valley that aren't Bezos or whomever, not the CEO. You don't got to be the CEO to be paid. You just got to rock with the CEO. You got to build with the CEO. And you also got to work with the right CEO who's going to pay you fairly. And so my goal is always to pay people fairly. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of 50-50 stuff. I do a lot of quasi-partnership stuff. I put people on because I want to work with other people because I know the value of working with other people. You can't even build anything massive by yourself. And so somebody goes out there and they start working by themselves. And I'm like, enjoy the projects. It is hard to do it by yourself. (laughs) Everything that people see me doing, I do it for a reason. That's why I need people around me. That's why I need a team. That's why I need, even even if you look at all the stuff that I'm doing now, it almost be impossible for me to do all this stuff without Sheridan. The reason why all our units are leased up and all our units are rehabbed and then another one's going to get leased up and I can start working on another rehab, I can start working on finding deals, is because Sheridan exists. The reason why I can focus on just scaling, bringing in more customers is because Layla exists and all the other people that I have that are helping me run this machine, but they're all paid pretty well to, to do what they do. And even the admins, like they're getting paid pretty well just to be admins. And there's a lot of admins. And I'm pretty sure that they're happy to just get paid to be on their cell phone. I mean, especially yeah. people who are just right out of college. You're right out of college and you're making this money to be on, on Slack all day for a Black business that's helping Black people. I think that's pretty damn dope. I think yeah. that is what we should all be aspiring towards, is getting paid from Black people to help Black people make black mo- build Black wealth.
2: <sighs> Sounds like success to me. Sounds like the dream sounds like what other communities do. I was thinking about that
0: because I, I drove past a, uh, like a homeless dude yeah. and I wanted to give him some money. And then I was like, I didn't give him any money, but I was thinking about how that tweet that Chris Rock said that like a white guy gets money and he builds a Walmart and he gives other white people jobs. And I used to have this idea of like having a driver and then hiring somebody off the streets to be my driver or having like a live-in maid or butler, and then hiring somebody off the streets to be my live-in maid or butler. Granted, there's some security risks with that and you need to run a background check and you need to clean them up and treat them well. But I was like, that's what they do in Africa. In Africa, if you talk to a lot of African people, they grew up with a, a live-in butler and maid and a driver. They all have drivers, they don't drive. And if you think about it, in the Caucasian community or whatever communities, they put people to work. I'm not going to let you just sit on the thing. I'm going to put you to work. In if it, They don't just give you money. We're like the, we, we, for some reason, we think people are just supposed to give us stuff. Like I'm homeless and I'm struggling, so give me stuff. No, you can come work. And if yeah. you work, you will eat. And if you work,
2: you'll have a place to live. Yeah, yeah. Now you said helping your family build million dollar businesses is a form of self-care so I'm not sure what the uh, inception of that tweet
0: was, but I think it had something to do with how I've built a platform and I'm helping my mom build her platform. And she has the benefit of launching off the top of my platform to do it. And that's how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be her success and my success combined. And that's how it would be if a lot of people raised their kids they are supposed to be raising because a lot of like your kids are supposed to not have to start from ground zero damn it they're supposed to start from where you left off not from where you started and so many people that is like i had to do it you could do it and it's almost like a cheat code when you realize and i've seen chris do it the reason why chris's sister's business is so successful is because she has help, help from chris and that's how right. it's supposed to be it's not supposed to be seen as a cheat code It's supposed to, that's just how it works in America. And we got to crack that mindset because so many of us think that if it doesn't follow struggle, then it's not success. When success is just success, it's just success. And so we should be lending our platform and lending our support and lending our influence behind other people. And so the same thing is true with like my wife. I'm like, not only do you have access to the resources so I can help you build this business, you also have access to me. And that is, I think, worth a lot of money because I'm going to show up. I'm going to help you uh, promote your business, advertise your business. I'm going to make sure I'm there, present at your business. And so she had her first event this week. And so then after it, we're like debriefing, okay, well, what, what went right? What went wrong? What mm-hmm. can we improve? What are we going to do better next time? And so I'm also pushing them like, we got to, we got to, all these pictures from the event has to be posted. People have to know that you are the person to go to for events. People have to know that you dominate this space and you're going to get there by posting and posting and putting up different pictures of events and tagging people and hashtagging it and being aggressive. But I can tell her that because I've done it successfully and also because I'm not threatened by her success. Her success is my success. And so I'm not just giving her little platitudes. I'm not just giving her little things that might work and then I'm keeping everything else behind the paywall. Like No, like I'm giving you all the game I could ever even think of. And that's valuable as well. I'm gonna give you all the tips and tricks. I'm showing you exactly how you do it. And for me, I want everybody to be have a million dollar business attached to me. So my wife, my mom, let's get you there. I already got the connects. Okay, you need somebody to do your social media. I already got somebody who can do that. Here they go. Oh, you need somebody to do your podcast intro. I already got somebody who can do that. Here you go. Oh, you need somebody who can do your graphics and your text. I got somebody. Here you go. And I'm just plugging in and playing. Just plugging in and playing. Like at a certain point, building a business isn't like freehand drawing. You're just putting the pieces together because you know what the pieces are. But in the beginning, you're just like sketching it out from freehand because you don't really know what works. And then once you find out what works, you go all in. That's why that first million is the hardest. And the second million, it takes you 33 years to get that first million. And it'll take you three months to get the second. Then it'll take you a month to get the third. Because now it's like, you know, it works. I do the same thing over and over. The same thing that got the first one, I do the same thing. The same thing. I'm not guessing. I'm not, maybe this will work. No.
2: Same thing. Deliberately On purpose. Yeah. You said, you had a, um, a similar tweet where you said, the best part about having money and starting a new business is you can pay people from jump. Yeah. I, I was thinking
0: about how a lot of times when I start a business, you have to get employee-minded people to think like business owners because you have to get them to see that we might not be getting paid right now, but you'll get paid when it's profitable. But most people burn out. And so you lose your talent pool because most people aren't willing to, to live like that. They're just like, I need to be getting paid today. Otherwise, this is a scam. I told you guys about the story when I was uh, I had a party promotion company in college. Just after college, we were at Sigmas and we left college and we we're like, we could throw parties and still make money. And so I brought on some people and they're like, Yeah, man, we out there promoting parties. We're not getting paid. And I was like, well the business didn't make any money. But employees don't want to hear that. They're like, I did work, therefore I <laughs> eat. I did work. I know it's a startup, but I gotta get paid. And the same thing is true when I had that mobile barber shop the mobile car wash. When I was in college I had a, a mobile car wash business and we were we were We were were washing cars, washing cars, and we weren't taking any of the money because we wanted to reinvest back into the business. And I had a friend, he was like, man, I just want my money, I'm going to just leave. And he ended up killing the business for like 100 bucks. And we're still friends to this day, but I just find that you got to meet people where they are and everybody's not entrepreneurial minded. Everybody's not delayed gratification minded. Everybody doesn't see the big picture. Some people are just like, I did this to make money. And if we ain't making money now, then I'm out. And you just got to understand that people, everybody doesn't see life, the world the same as you. And that's why everybody ain't going to make M's like you. The reason why we make M's is because we're willing to do three years of unpaid work. And the reason why I was able to do three years of unpaid work is because I stopped working with business partners. And I started just trusting my own vision and doing my own stuff because business partners will hold you back in a lot of ways. They're going to be talking and debating and trying to convince you out of stuff and trying to take the money and it will ruin everything. And that's why I'm doing a lot of real estate deals by myself now. I'm like, I'm funding this, this whole rehab. I'm funding it because I don't want to have to ask you for nothing. I don't want to do this deal dependent upon your money. And then three months from now, you're like, I want my money back. I want to buy out. Like, I'm just going to bypass that. I did that to get started. I took Mm -hmm. L's to get started. I took 20% of deals to get started. Because I knew there was going to come a point in time when I wanted to be doing these deals myself, for myself, for my son, for my family.
2: You said about the, the, the properties, we look crazy, and now all our property buddies are doing numbers during a pandemic. The crazy yeah. part about, mm-hmm. about investing, and I
0: talked about this on live, is just like people don't really understand business, I don't think they understand investing. I think people see investing as gambling and not as actually like development per se. And so investing in a lot of ways is development where you take something that is underdeveloped or undervalued and you build it up to where it should be. My long-term portfolio is only investments. There is no speculation going on in there at all. My entire long-term Robinhood portfolio, half a million dollars is in SPG, um, DRI, which is, so S P G is the mall, DRI is the restaurants, MGM is the hotels, Carnival Cruise Line, Royal Caribbean, American Airlines, Delta Airlines, and all of them have done crazy numbers. Why? Because their investments, I bought them at the bottom. And the same thing is true with Detroit, is I bought Detroit at the bottom. And when you're investing, people aren't going to understand you because just like I said, some people don't understand finance, they only know consumption. And so they're only buying that house that looks good. They're only buying the retail. They're only buying the flip. And the same thing is true when they're buying stocks. They're only buying it after it's great. We all talk about, oh, I should have bought Amazon back in 2000. Well, Amazon wasn't Amazon back then. It was just some little bookstore. And they're like, well, how, how? you know what the conversation ends up being? How is a bookstore going to become this big mega thing? Well, don't worry about the how. Wonder about putting yourself in position. How is the trick going to come back when it was so far beat down? Don't worry about the how. Worry about putting yourself in position because it's an opportunity staring you in the face and most people can't see it. And we did that in this recession. Last recession, people didn't get rich because they didn't have the guts to jump in when it was low. We were trying to sell stocks in the midst of a recession and everybody was like, I'm not losing any more money. I'm taking my money off the table. And wow. the same thing is true with this recession right now. Everybody was like, oh, I'm not buying that stuff. They have a lot of debt. Restaurants might not ever come back. People are going to just stop eating. Do you know how hard it <laughs> is to get a table at a restaurant right now? They have hour waits. Every time I've gone to a restaurant last week, and was an hour wait. They're eating in the parking lots. They're doing delivery. They're doing all these different things. And so essentially what I'm saying is I saw Detroit as that market. I saw the upside potential and I saw the oversold distress. And sometimes distress and destruction is oversold. And conversely, sometimes hype and mania is overhyped. And so you can look at a stock like Tesla, which is overhyped. You can look at a stock like, I think Tesla's probably the only one that's that overhyped that I could Mm -hmm. even point to. Like Tesla's just the most obvious overvalued stock out there because it's not rooted in anything, nothing at all. And so the same is true. It's like, if you start seeing something trading too high and it doesn't make any sense then you know it's going to crack downwards. If you, if you see something that's trading too low and you know that it doesn't make any sense, you know there's an opportunity for the upside. And we're looking for the opportunity for the upside if we're going long stocks.
2: And the investment club made some money
0: on Tesla too, by the way. Hey. We, made money on, we made money on Netflix. We did, I think we made money on Tesla. But see, the thing is, it's not so much the stock that matters. What matters is the price you buy it at. And so Tesla now is overvalued. Tesla's not always been overvalued. When we bought it, it was probably fairly priced with upside. And so the thing is, is you got to chase bad news. And so Tesla was probably there's the news changes so frequently. One day it's great. The next day it's terrible. And so the news for Tesla now is great. But at one point in time, it was like, he's not going to ever be able to make this company profitable. This car got into a crash and caught on fire, Um, blah, 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 blah. They can't, like, for a while, they were selling you on this idea that Elon won't be able to produce enough Model 3s. And then you know what he did? He bossed up, he put a tent in the parking lot. So you got to kind of, you got to zig when they zag and zag when they zig. And so when they're they're buying, I'm selling. When they're selling, I'm buying. And that's true in any space that I'm in.
2: Hey, so we're going to do one last tweet. You said... We got to stop disqualifying people who say the right things just because they don't live a model life. We kill off a lot of leaders because of mistakes they made, not realizing we lose because we struck down greatness. Dr. Umar Johnson is a genius.
0: He is a very intelligent person, but he's turned into like a joke. They almost, it's Mm -hmm. like he gets made fun of. He gets called a scam. He, could cause, he gets called all these different things. And what we've done is we've taken somebody who was a brilliant speaker and and kind of silenced him, made him irrelevant. Somebody who was actually out here exposing all these different things that the, the school system is doing to these young men by diagnosing them with ADHD and getting them up on drugs, the same drugs that they use in like crack and like cracking all that stuff or meth, one of those drugs. And then... Um, kind of leading him into a life of crime, like the prison to uh, school to prison pipeline. Um, He always talks about like the calling ADHD, there ain't no daddy at home disease.
2: Uh Or
0: (laughs) he was talking about how like he can tell if a kid is going to go to prison because there's no books in the house. And I'm not sure what happened to him, but I know that now people don't really listen to anything he has to say. He, He has some conflict with like, Roland Martin and other liberals and they kind of silenced them. And I think that's a problem because anybody who's speaking to us is doing so because they care about us. They might not you might not want to hear it, but if they if if what they were saying wasn't pro-black, you could probably kind of tell from their lifestyle. And so what's frustrating to me is like we have a pro-black narrative. And if what you say doesn't fit into that pro-black narrative, you're canceled. And that's a problem because There's a certain sect of people who control the pro-black narrative who aren't necessarily unbiased. They have an agenda. And that agenda looks like what you see on the Black Lives Matter statement where they're more so focused on gay rights than black men rights. They're over here trying to uh, focus on lesbian rights and immigrant rights, and they could really care less about black rights. And then the same thing is true about Kanye West. Like Kanye West now... He's saying things and everybody loves him. Like, I love Kanye. And what's it's confusing to me is Kanye is the same Kanye when he gets on there and he talks about George Bush or when he gets on there and he talks about loving Donald Trump. And then the same thing is true when I was talking about Donald Trump. Like, Donald Trump, if you look at the progress African-American people have made under Trump, it's astounding. More business ownership, more home ownership, higher income due to business ownership more people getting married and staying married, more people having families. And so I just want people to take their emotions out of it and take their feelings out of it and start looking at what's really going on because they're being led astray and they're being confused and they're being sold lies. And the frustrating thing about it is, I was gonna, I had a tweet or an idea for a tweet and it was talking about how we have to start valuing education more and the educated more and the opinions of the educated more. Because a lot of people in like my close circle will, will get into a conversation with me and they'll say like, oh, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. But everything that I've accomplished is a result of my mindset.
2: Mm.
0: And so in that mindset, in a lot of ways, is a result of my education. And so you can't discredit everything that I believe and everything that I think and then celebrate who I am just because you disagree. We have to get to the point where we're honest and we just say, you know what? That whole accountability stuff you're talking about, it's just too hard. It's not because you're wrong and it's not because it's impossible. It's just hard and I don't want it bad enough. I just want to chill and I just want to accept my plight. And while I'm here, I'm going to complain. I'm going to criticize. I'm going to act like I didn't choose this, but I actually did choose this. So my thing is, I just want us to, really decide if we want to win or if we just want to be comfortable because if you want to win you're going to have to listen to the people who are out here who are killing it Dr. Umar Johnson is a very educated individual Kanye West is a very accomplished individual and Donald Trump is a very accomplished individual a lot more accomplished than Joe Biden and that's why he's going to whoop him because when, when Donald Trump really acts like the Donald Trump that he really is the educated, the he has an MBA I think um, from UPenn, one of those schools Wharton. Yeah, he has an NBA. Um, he's not a dummy. You don't even, if he was a dummy, they wouldn't even entertain this guy in conversations. He'd have been kicked out a long time ago. But I think you have to play a role to appeal to a certain audience. And, you know, that whole idea that, like, Republicans in a lot of ways, they have the lower income Caucasians and the liberals have a lot of lower income uh, African-Americans. But I just, I don't want, I don't want that to be the narrative To just dis- to to destroy someone's truth and what they're saying that could help us all because maybe they did something stupid when they were younger and maybe they don't live a model life because quite honestly, none of us live a model life. But we expect our leaders to live a perfect life in order to tell us something that's right. And we're gonna they're going to fail us every single time. I be failing people every day and don't even know.
2: Now on that note, we're going to wrap this up. Episode 68 of Tweet Talk, the Black Wealth Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow myself, Raphael, at WorkMoneyLife. Follow Charles at Todd Billion on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram at Tweet Talk Podcast. Follow Charles at Todd Billion on Instagram. Also the Todd Capital business page at Todd.Capital on Instagram. And also the nonprofit at VesorBlackMan on Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and Be sure to check out our advertisers and sponsors, investasateam.com, home of the merch, the official merch of generational wealth at investasateam.com. Also, upgrade your outfit by upgrading your laces with Get Lace Laces at getlacelaces.com. You know, Raphael and Charles, I'd like to leave you guys with one last thought from one of Charles' tweets. Charles said, they don't call it a plantation anymore. Now... It's an office. My and Charles, episode 68 of Tweet Talk the Black Web Podcast. We are out. Peace. Don't, don't go
1: nowhere. Yes, sir. What's good, Tweet Talk Podcast listener? This is Donald the Voice, the official editor and producer of the Tweet Talk Podcast. And so I want to come to you to tell you that for the entire month of October, I'm doing a 50% off promo. That's right. I'm slashing the prices 50% off. Donald, why would you do that? Well, it's because, doggone, it, it's quarter four. And I know some of y'all are ready to get ahead of this 2021 momentum, and so I'm here to help you. So head on over to DonaldTheVoice.com, go over to the contact tab, or you can hit me up on Instagram, at DonaldTheVoice, mention this promo, and let's begin talking about your podcast editing, video editing, or voiceover editing needs. That's all I got to say, 50% off, let's get it, let's go, have a good rest of the day. Keep building, baby, keep building. That's what it
2: is. (laughs)